Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. So today we are going to be finishing up with our look preview at summer and there were a lot of books that we didn't mention. I think we only got through June. So just talking with Gail briefly in pre-show, she mentions that, you know, she's got a lot for July. Uh, I've got a lot for July. So after we talk about what we've been reading, I think we're just going to jump on into it. Um, and actually, I'm not going to talk about what I've been reading because it's a book that's coming out in July. So I'm going to save that for our later talk. But I will ask Gail, what have you been reading? And maybe I'll let you know what I'm thinking about reading next. So I think when we left off, I had finished Cover Story. Is that the one? um, I don't know if if I talked about that. The one that is kind of like... Yes, you did. My friend Anna. Okay. Mm -hmm. I finished reading Memphis, which I think I also had mentioned on the show. Memphis is a book about three generations of black women living in Memphis and kind of about like the trauma and resilience that they experience, kind of that pattern of trauma and resilience among these women. It's a mother, two children, and then their children. So three generations. It's the type of book I really feel like I should have loved. And it's, you know, family drama and it's beautifully written. For whatever reason, it just, it kind of just didn't grab me. It was sort of a bit of a chore to get through. I, and I, I think I'm really in the minority on this one. I know a lot of people love this book. And I think one reason I didn't love it was I did it on audio. Every chapter, it jumps around a different year, a different person, a different narrator, a different time, you know, rotating among these three women. And I think that that as much as the narrators were great, I think that it's not a book that lends itself well to audio. So that may be why I didn't like it as much. That's a bummer. Yeah, it is a bummer because it really it really got great reviews. It's a debut novel by Tara Stringfellow. And I just, I wanted to love it. And I just kind of felt like it, I don't know, it was just a little hard to get through. But, you know, it. I think if you are interested in this book, I would definitely recommend trying it in print. And then I read a romance. I don't know why. I don't know what <laughs> prompted me, but I liked the story, the idea of it. So I read it. It's called Mr. Wrong Number by Lynn Painter. And it's about this woman who is living with her brother and her brother's roommate because she like lost her job and had to move home from Chicago to Omaha, which is where they're from. And she gets a missed, missed dial, like a missed a text to the wrong number comes to her phone. And it is a very suggest- suggestive text. So she responds with this guy to this guy. And then they end up kind of bantering back and forth. And she calls him Mr. Wrong Number. And he calls her Miss Miss Dial. They're texting back and forth and, you know, flirting and all this stuff. And then of course, it turns out that the guy who wrote the text is her brother's roommate, who's, you know, of course, (laughs) who's like been kind of an asshole to her their whole life, because she's known them since growing up and whatever. And so then of course, you know, what happens to them in real life and what happens to them on the text and they figure it out. And it was cute. Okay. Sounds like you enjoyed it. I did. I mean, it was, you know, it's like follows the classic romance pattern, but it was, it was a cute book. It definitely kept my attention. And I'm almost done with the new Emma Straub, which is called This Time Tomorrow. We've discussed how you are 50-50 on Emma Straub. Is this going to be more like a 25-75 now? (laughs) 
I think it will. And I think it will tip in favor of Emma Straub because I like, this is probably my favorite of hers yet. Interesting. Okay. So it involves time travel. Oh yeah. That's why. <laughs> yeah. It involves time travel. And, um, but I do, I am liking it. It's not perfect. It's definitely not perfect. And like, I don't know, time travel is so hard to write because it's so, and we've talked about this, that it's so intellectually complicated and like strenuous. Like you have to really think about it and it doesn't logically work because time travel doesn't really exist, but it's, it, there's a lot to like about it. And I'm, I would say I'm two thirds done. And so, or three quarters done maybe. And so I'll, I'll give a full report on our next show. Okay. But I'm, I am liking it. That sounds good. Yeah. Maybe I'll try that. I read, was it Modern Romance that I read by her? Modern Lovers. Modern Lovers that I read by her. And I enjoyed it. Yeah, I really like that book. But yeah, I'm not not sure about some of her others. Maybe I'll try the time travel one. Did you read um, All Adults Here? No. That was the one that came out last year, right? Yeah, I did not like that one. Yeah. And I had read The Vacationers before that. Um, You didn't like that? It was no, I did like that. Yeah, I did like that one. I don't remember Modern Lovers at all. Oh, yes, I do. They live in Brooklyn, and yes. one of them they, like used to be a singer. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was some yeah, stuff. someone was a singer. There was a band or someone. Something yes, like yes, there was a band, and now they're like young parents living in Brooklyn. Yep. Yeah, this one is um, this one is different. It's about a woman who's single, and she is turning forty. And she, um, I don't think I'm giving away anything because I think any of this would be like on the dust jacket. She goes to bed the night of her 40th birthday. Oh, yeah. And she wakes up and she's 16. And she's 16. Yeah. Because I was like, why 16? Why not 19? Or Well, I think that that, it, I think the 16 is really intentional because she's still living at home with her dad who is in real, and and when she's 40, her dad is pretty sick and he's in the hospital. And so she wants to go back in time. Once she finds herself back in time, she wants to see if she can figure out how to prevent his illness, prevent him from like, you know, ending up where he is at 70, which is where she's left him. Also, she kind of wants to, while she's in her 16 year old body, but with the sort of confidence and knowledge of a 40 year old (laughs) woman, she wants to see if she can change the course of her own life. Like, as far as like her dating relationships, things like that. Right. And then of course the question is, if she does that, will she like what she ends up with? So I won't say any more than that. It's, it's good. Like it's, I, it's really good. Again, it's not perfect. And I'm sure I, if I'm going to have complicated feelings about it when I'm done, but like, <laughs> I, I am really liking it and I'm glad I'm reading it. Okay. Well, that's the important thing. Blow dry book. Blow dry book is still marrying the ketchups and I have no idea why that's my blow dry book because I really like it and I should just like sit and read it. Sit and read it. So maybe what I'll do when I finish uh Emma Straub is just switch to full time on um marrying the ketchups. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, it's a cute book. I don't know it, it, for whatever reason it ended up on that counter and then I just never moved it. Um I also am going to read for my book club True Biz. Have you seen that one out? It was um a book of the month pick like last month or the mm-hmm. month before it's about, it takes place in a boarding school for deaf students. And it's kind of just all about deaf culture. And I think the author is deaf. So it's like an own voices um, perspective and that's scattered throughout the book. There are like sign language put in there. So I'm excited to read that one. It looks good. Okay. 
Yeah. Well, looks like you got some good stuff coming up. Um, yeah. What's on tap for you after you finish? Can you tell us which book is the July release or you want to just keep that a surprise? Okay. So I read Reputation by Sarah Vaughn and I don't know, did you watch Notes on a Scandal? Which is her, which is the Netflix adaptation of her book with Michelle Dockery and other people. No, but I want to, I think we've talked about it. This is the one about the politician. Yes. No, but you said it was really good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I had forgotten, I had read the book a while ago. And so I had forgotten the twist. So it was, it was, it was nice to have some surprise there too. Okay. I I think some of the beauty of watching book to movie adaptations is to just, just curiosity on my part to see how everything fleshes out, like how they've chosen to translate where people live and what they wear and what they look like. Um, but yeah, there were some, there were some surprises with the story. So that's the book that I read. It's coming out July 5th. So I'll talk about it a little bit in a minute. I'm still reading strangers on the train by Patricia Highsmith. Okay. I think that there is a disconnect with when I read books that are, you know, clearly set in a different time, like the seventies or the sixties. Like it's so different to read about a book written now and written in those time periods, as opposed to reading a book from those actual time periods. And I think this book came out in 1952. And I don't know, I think one of the, (laughs) one of the big things that can kind of be a turnoff or when I'm reading this book, I mean, besides the fact that I'm just kind of like, you know, that these guys meet on a train, one wants his, I think he doesn't like his dad. The other has been having problems with his wife. And, you know, one of them is more driving this, you know, let's kill each other's people because there would be no way to connect us. And so the guy who's kind of um, instigating all of this, they, the way he's described, he's just kind of really gross. And he's got this boil that's in the middle of his head that they're always talking about and drawing attention to. I don't know. So I don't know if she's trying to personify ugly in that particular way, but I'm about halfway through. So I'm going to get through that. And then I want to read this book called Notes on an Execution by Danya Kakafka. I read her first, her debut novel, Girl in Snow, which I really liked. And this one is about a guy who's on death row. Um, and I think he is, he's been charged with like these crimes against women. So the entire book is kind of told through the lens of women whose lives that he has affected as he is, I think he's like 24 hours or 12 hours away from being executed. So it's like told through the lens of his sister or a girlfriend or other women who've been pivotal in his life. So I'm kind of really curious to read um, I guess this, that curation of this man and what they think of him and what their experience with him has been. So that's what will, that's what I will be reading. Okay. I think at this point, because we do have quite a few books that we should jump into. Yes. Into our list. So why don't you catch us up? I think I have mostly July and a couple of August books. So why don't you tell us about the May and the June books you have? Well, yeah, it's just one from May, which I didn't mention. I don't think I mentioned it on the last show, although we might have talked about it, is that Maggie Shipstead has a new book of short stories that came out a week ago. Did we talk about that already? I feel like we did talk about short stories, but I am not completely certain. Okay. Well, I'll just mention it briefly. Um, I'm a big Maggie Shipstead fan, although I still haven't read The Great Circle 
I'm a little daunted by how big it is, but I've heard it's great. But she has a book of short stories um, called You Have a Friend in 10A. I've read good reviews of this and a couple of, I don't know, a couple of the uh, little premises sound good. A love triangle plays out over decades on a Montana ranch. A hurdler and a gymnast spend a single night together in the Olympic Village. On the slopes of an unfinished ski resort, a young woman searches for her vanished lover. I don't know. Just <laughs> sound very like like intriguing. I think this is the best word for it. So I'm a big fan of hers. I really liked seating arrangements and I really liked Astonish Me, which is the one she wrote about um, just kind of this web of relationships among a professional ballet company. And I think she wrote, um, what was the one she wrote? before that. Maybe um, seating arrangements astonish me. Great circle. I'm trying to remember if there's other ones, but I just, I just really like her books. I just love her, this, her storytelling and her use of detail. And so I'm kind of curious to see, as we've talked about many times, I don't love short stories just because I always find them a little unsatisfying in the end, but I don't know. I think I would take a chance with Maggie Shipstead. One thing I sometimes look at with short stories is to see how long they are. Hmm. Um, sometimes it is, I don't know. It's just a little bit more helpful when you look at them. And if they're a little bit longer, I kind of feel like maybe that will mean I'm going to get a little bit more. Mm, A little more heft. Yeah. A little bit more heft, a little bit more detail. Like maybe they will be a little bit more complete because like you with short stories, sometimes I feel like I start reading them and then I'm left wanting like I want it mm-hmm. more I was um gonna look I'm on Amazon looking to see you know the preview if the preview shows you like any kind of a table of contents or anything mm-hmm. that would give you a sense of how long they are but they don't yeah it and usually like sometimes just- they're shorter 10 to you know 20 to 30 pages and then you have the big novella that right anchors it okay right. yeah it looks like the Goodreads reviews are a little varied <laughs> so I've seen a five, a four, a couple of threes. Okay. So mostly four or so. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that came out on May the 17th. So that's my only May book since we, you and I have already covered May and June, but I somehow that eluded me when I made my list last time. So I just wanted to make sure I mentioned it here. Okay. What do you got? All right. So my book that I finished reading uh, when I was away with my family was Reputation by Sarah Vaughn. As I mentioned before, she has the Netflix um, miniseries on her, that's for her first book, Notes on a Scandal, which I really like the adaptation. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting about this book is, okay, so Sarah Vaughn was a journalist and I think that she covered a lot of women's issues when she was a journalist. I think she wrote for The Guardian before she became a novelist. And so her first novel was kind of about politicians behaving badly. And it was all linked to this school, like the elite schools that they have in England and the bad behavior there and just, you know, how it's a boys network and the effect that it has, you know, when, when the politician is accused of rape. So it looks at what happens to his story and it goes back and it looks at what happened um, when he and his wife were in college. So this one is kind of interesting because this time she is also writing about a politician, but this is a female politician. So a lot of the focus is a bit different because it's about how when women are in power, 
they face a lot of vitriol in the form of comments or text messages or just there is just an outpouring um, that makes them really vulnerable and people just expressing their opinions. And, you know, I think there's a power dynamic of whether people actually really want them to be involved in politics. So it's looking at it through that lens, like the bullying and the sexism and um, just being attacked. And the story also is mirrored with her daughter facing similar issues in terms of being bullied in school. Now, all of this comes to a head when the politician walks in and she finds um, that someone has died in her house. Like, it seems like he has fallen from the top of the stairs. And this is, of course, an issue. Um, At first, she feels like she's been broken in on. But as the story unfolds, we see that there's like just more to everything than meets the eye. And you wonder how her family is involved and you know, there's a situation with her daughter and just what really happened that night. And I think it's another good one. Uh, I enjoy her novels. I will caveat them with saying that I think that there is, sometimes she can get really into a lot of detail that can be on the drier side or just like, I feel like every day this woman came home and it was what she was doing for dinner and having to call her daughter, which of course are things that you do. Mm -hmm. But I think I noticed this with notes on a scandal. I don't know if it's like her journalism, the fact reporting that's kind of getting in there. And I do admit that I do love some of those details. I just don't need them for every day. If you give them to me for one day, I'm good. But I know I have said that in the past to complaining about, well, how did they do this? And how did they do that? Well, she's going to tell you. (laughs) Right. She's going to have that detail there for you. But I think it was really interesting to have, you know, the issues that women face when they're older, juxtaposed to the issues that younger women face when they are just kind of forming themselves and their identities. So to have that overlap, you know, she always approaches subject matter in an interesting way. And it definitely became um, probably halfway through the book. I will, will say that there is a bit of a setup of their lives and stuff, but halfway through is when it really gets to rocking. It's like, what? What happened here? So I recommend it. I really, I really like her work overall. And it fit you because you've read by her books and by I her have before. Read books, I yes, I read Anatomy of a Scandal. So I might end my whole experiment six <laughs> six months. I don't know. This is not the year for it. I feel like things have popped up that I just need to read thrillers by people I've never have not necessarily read their work before. Got it. I was wondering what it might be that sucked you back out of it. And it sounds like it's the lore of thrillers that you find appealing. Yeah, I'm still, yeah, I'm not back on the really, really serious fiction yet. Or if I do read it, it takes me a long time. And sometimes I just, you know, I don't know. I find thrillers to be kind of mindless thrillers or romance. Romance. (laughs) Yeah. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, my next book is by Eleanor Brown. It's called Any Other Family. She wrote a book called The Weird Sisters, which I did not read. I have that on my list. I read The Weird Sisters. Oh, oh, you've got this book on your list. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, this premise sounds irresistible. So Mm -hmm. there are four siblings from one biological mother that get adopted by three different mothers. There's a set of twins and then two others. And so there are 
the kids are adopted into very different types of families. I think one is a single mother. One is um, a woman who has struggled with in, um, infertility for a long time. And then the one, then there's one who adopts the twins. And so they make a pact that they're going to try to give these kids a semblance of their family by staying in close touch and maintaining the relationship between the siblings. And I believe that when the book, in the, building up in the book, they're all going on vacation together. And it's all about um, how these different adoptive mothers, you know, help sort of create this family when they all have a very different approach to family. And then I guess the birth mother, they find out that the birth mother is pregnant again. So there's going to be another sibling, which just adds more complication. So um, I don't know. That sounds really good to me, doesn't it? Yeah. I had highlighted that too. I was going to say that Eleanor Brown, I, I feel like she really wants to explore those bonds between women. You know, it was sisters and it's like, th this is kind of a family of women who are trying to make a family out of their adopted children. It sounds really interesting. Did you read The Weird Sisters? I did. Oh, I and how it. was that? Okay. Yeah, I thought it was good. What's so it about? anything by Eleanor Brown? I have not. Um, it is about three sisters. I believe they're all named after characters in Macbeth, maybe. Um, I don't know. I read that book so long ago that I'm sketchy on the details, but it was, okay. it was, yeah, it was a novel of sisters. They don't all get along. Uh, for some reason, I think they are called back into the orbit of their family and maybe, I want to say that maybe the mother is sick or one of the parents is sick or has just died. And that's kind of like the issue that is forcing them back together, whether it's, it might've been that they're trying to take care of a sick parent and they have to come together to do that. But yes, she definitely, I love the way she explores the bond of, of motherhood. And I do remember finding that book really touching. Okay. All right. What else you got? Oh, yeah, that was not mine. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Well, it was, and I stole it. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. So the Weird Sisters, though, I want to say it's three sisters have returned to their childhood home. And I was trying to see what the, oh, yeah, face with their parents' frailty. So uh, they get together. They start examining their life. My next book also comes out on July 5th. It's called Kia Das's Second Act. This sounds really heartwarming. It is about this Bengali family or it becomes about this family. It's about this father, though, who has regrets. He's separated from his wife of many years. They've just gotten a divorce. He's kind of at loose ends. He regrets the fact that he did not welcome his daughter more when she told him that she was gay. But what happens is they go to clean out the attic in the house, and he finds a book um, that basically his daughter had written with her lover, I believe, and he gets a second chance to like see what her life is like and and to connect with her in that way that he finds really rewarding. Like he tells his wife about it and he's super excited about it. And then they decide that they would like to, um, as, an, as an homage to their daughter, he wants to put on a play based on, you know, her the book that they discovered in the attic that she had written. The only thing is they have to get permission from the, um, his daughter's lover and so, you know, it's just kind of all about the dynamics of this family and what happens as they you know, try to get this play produced, you know, like what secrets come out, like what really drove the dissolution of um, his marriage and, and 
he gets to resolve some of his feelings. And it says that it's her second act, but it's like he gets a second chance to get to know his daughter. So it sounds really good. I had seen that book around when I was researching for this episode. Okay, my next book is called Schmutz by Felicia Berliner. It is a book about a woman in a Hasidic Jewish community who is you know, supposed to follow all the rules of Hasidim and, you know, have an arranged marriage and kind of go by, you know, do the right thing, be the dutiful child. And she has a secret computer, I guess, and becomes addicted to online porn. So while she's kind of trying to live this life, she's also sort of discovering like her own sexuality and exploring all these worlds that are very different and contrary to a strict Hasidic lifestyle. So um, it says a singular stirring and compulsively readable debut novel. It explores what it means to be fully realized sexual and spiritual being caught between traditional and modern worlds. And the cover of this book is hilarious. It's basically, um, do you know what a hamantaschen is? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a hamantaschen cookie, very strategically positioned, make it look like <laughs> oh, a female body part. Uh-huh. I don't know. I'm sort of um, like fascinated, obsessed slash repelled by Hasidic life. Like I find it so misogynistic and anti-female. It just makes me crazy. And I, whenever I pass like Hasidic women, sometimes I'll be like, you know, in the park on a, you know, going for a run or something. And I think that there are some Hasidic or maybe they're just, you know, Orthodox. I don't know if they're actually Hasidic, but they're Orthodox Jews that are walking to synagogue in the morning. And I see it'll be like a beautiful summer day and there'll be like a little boy who's wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And then the girl is wearing some long, you know, skirt, long sleeves. And there's, you know, inevitably a mother pushing a stroller and the mother's wearing some, you know, heavy clothes. And it makes me crazy that I feel (laughs) like there's such a double standard for how women are treated in the Orthodox Jewish community. And I'm like sort of fascinated by it because it makes me angry. (laughs) <laughs> and so, um, and I started to watch that series, um, Orthodox or Unorthodox. Did you ever watch that on HBO or whatever network, Netflix? I don't remember which one it was on. It's like I about think a woman. it was Netflix and I did because I read the book as well. Got it. Deborah Feldman, I think is her name. Yeah. Which is my sister-in-law's name. Um, <laughs> and I think I've watched a couple episodes of it and I know she escapes from her, she escapes from New York, I think, and goes to like Germany or something. Yes. She, she goes yeah. To Poland. Yeah. yeah. This one, I don't know. This looks really intriguing to me. This woman lives in Brooklyn also. And I, yeah, I think I, I would like to read this one. All right. So my next book kind of dovetails with yours a little bit in that it's on religion. The name of it is Corinne by Rebecca Morrow. And it is about this woman who is basically, she's raised in a fundamentalist church. And, you know, when she leaves, she's cut off from her family. She goes out, she builds herself a good life. But there is a boy that she has left behind. And they say Enoch Miller ruins everything for her. It was always Enoch Miller. She'll never get him out from under her skin. So they say the story is set over 15 years and explores this relationship. And, you know, this is a guy that she knows that she can't have. She's been, I guess, in a sense, excommunicated. Um, she has a life that she really enjoys and it's a good life based on principles that she wants to live, but she just can't let this guy go. And it says, Corinne is the story of a woman who risks everything she's built for the one man she can never have. Mm -hmm. So 
Okay. It's supposed to be an unforgettable love story. <laughs> okay. Okay. My next one is called NSFW, as in not, not safe, safe for work, work. by <laughs> Isabel Kaplan. One. Okay. Also has a pretty cool cover by Isabel Kaplan. And this, uh, I had, this is for me, the year of the debut novel. Like just, I keep reading debut novels and keep being attracted to debut novels. I don't know what's up with that. I guess it's the opposite for you. Um, so but, far, <laughs> so far. So this is about a young woman who, uh, lands an entry-level job at a TV network in Hollywood. And it's all about trying to make it as a woman in the industry and how um, there's, you know, so much sort of sexism, you know, sexual harassment going on. Um, and she's, you know, trying to sort of like create change. She comes in very idealistic and she's trying to create change from inside um, and says when her personal and professional lives collide, threatening both the network and her future, she must finally decide what to protect the career she's given everything for or the empowered woman she claims to be. So I think it's, you know, the tension between her ideals as a woman versus the reality of trying to succeed in Hollywood. And I don't know, it sounds intriguing too. It does. Yeah. Someone um, says pre, it's a book about pre me Too Hollywood. Oh <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like it's, this was written, this was set or written before kind of light was exposed on this. Yeah. I wonder what Hollywood is like now. I would like to see a book about pre me to Hollywood, or is it just kind of sliding back? Yeah. Um, all right. So let me see. You took my Eleanor Brown book, but it's fine. Catherine J. Chin. Um, we liked her book her retelling of pride and prejudice. Oh yeah. I saw she has a new one out. Yeah. She has a new one out. Um, what's her new, what's the one that we read by her? Um, oh yeah. It's, uh, Mary, Mary B. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, is this the one where that involves Mr. Darcy? Yeah. Mary B. Yeah. Where there's like an alternate ending for Lizzie and yes, Darcy. Yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so she's back. And this time she's writing about Joan of Arc. It says it's a stunning secular reimagining of the epic life of Joan of Arc in the bold tradition of Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hall. So it seems like this will have a decidedly different feel to it. I felt like Mary B. It was interesting. It definitely was an interesting take on Pride and Prejudice, I think, especially when it got more into Mary's actual story and how she decided to live her life. But there were definitely comedic elements and surprising things on this. I mean, Joan of Arc's story, of course, is is based on history and is also a tragedy. Um, so I don't think that there will be those comedic elements. And if it's if they're saying it's in the vein of Wolf Hall, then it there's a heft and seriousness that would have to be that I would expect from this. And it says that in the myth in Catherine J. Chin's hands, the myth and legend of Joan of Arc is transformed into a flesh and blood young woman, reckless, steel wired, and brilliant. It's a deeply researched novel, sweeping narrative of her life. So I feel like she's going to really bring us the details. And I feel like I need to say something because it is Memorial Day weekend, which I guess is the start of the summer season. So all of these helicopters are now more active back and forth going uh, from Manhattan to the Hamptons. So <laughs> 
you might hear those in the background. They're competing with me. It's, it's ridiculous this weekend. It's, oh. What, um, why, so people are just helicoptering from the city of the Hamptons, all this Richie Richies? Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like I wouldn't hear a lot during the winter, you know, every now and then I hear something, but the summer season, you hear them all the time sometimes. Oh my God. I just have to say that my dog, like I, I'm doing, I recorded my den at my desk and I did, I either did not hear him come in or he's been under my desk for quite All a while the time. because I just felt something on my knee. I was like, what was that? <laughs> and it was him. He's been so quiet just sitting under there. Oh, that's nice. He knows yes. that you're podcasting. <laughs> yes. He's been very, very tolerant. By the way, he's still Hobart. We didn't change his name. I still want Mr. Darcy, but it's, you know, we're like now we've had him almost three months. You can call him Hobie. Yeah, I do sometimes call him Hobie. And I think <laughs> I think Hobart has stuck. So for those of you who heard us have this conversation where I was talking about, could we name him Mr. Darcy? I've been overruled. Can I just say that it's really hard to rename I find it really hard to rename pets because I feel like by the time I figure out and try on a few things, yes, they are just who they are. They are who they, that's the thing. They are I who think they that are. if you have a name that right away, that any pet that you have is just, you're going to be, I don't know, Calpurnia or whatever. If you can do it right away, that's what works. But if you get him home, like Walty, he's a, his name was Walter when I got him. Yeah. And uh, he's a black and white cat. So I was trying for Domino or Dom or I don't know, something. But he is Walty, 16 years yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's how it is. Yeah. Hobart. He's Hobart. And he's just, I had no idea he was under my desk. That was really funny. Oh, that is really sweet. Uh, wait, speaking of Mr. Darcy, can I tell you, I just read an article that was an interview with Matthew McFadden and, and Colin, Colin Firth. Firth. Yeah, did you read that? No, I saw it. I didn't read it though. Yeah. And I guess they were in a new movie together, but then oh, wow. they had a little discussion about both playing Mr. Darcy. And mm-hmm. then of course I had to watch like 20 minutes of the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice, the end when she, like he comes to her and is like, you know, I still love you. And, you know, tell me, if you tell me that your feelings have not changed, I'll leave you alone forever. And she's like, they have. And then they go to um, Donald Sutherland and, and get his blessing. And then, you know, anyway, I just had to watch that. That would be a good women's pajama party sleepover. If you watch the Pride and Prejudice with, I want to say Greer Garson back in. Hmm. I don't know. I don't even know when that was. Was Laurence Olivier in that? I, I have no idea how old that movie is. But to watch that one, to watch the BBC miniseries with Colin Firth, and then to watch how many more, is it just the one that Matthew McFadden has been in? It, are there just three? I feel like there could be a fourth. And the Colin Firth one was not a movie. Wasn't that a miniseries? It's like six episodes or something? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. The BBC. Oh yeah. Right. right, The miniseries. Um, I don't know if there have been any other ones. I know there's been like a lot of retellings and remakes and right. Set in different places and stuff. Well, that would be a good eight to 12 hours of. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it would. I think we're due for another version of Pride and Prejudice to be made into a movie. Right. That's why I was wondering if there was another one. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Is it my turn? I was so busy trying to see how many adaptations there have been, but I think it's just three. It is my turn. Okay. So mine 
Next one is getting lots of attention. So it's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, who wrote a book called Young Jane Young, which I never read. Did you read that one? No. Okay. I have it on my shelf and I never read it. So this one is about a two college students who become best friends and they develop a video game together that makes them fabulously wealthy and complicates their lives and relationships over the following decades. I have had this book on my radar for a while, but now that it's getting closer to publication date, which is July 5th, I'm seeing more and more reviews about it. And it's called, I've heard it described as an exhilarating epic of friendship, grief, and computer game development. This is a one of a kind achievement. So I do think it goes a little bit into the weeds on computer games. So I think that if you have literally no interest in that, that, you know, beware, but that apparently it's just very well written and very engrossing. And I'm just, I don't know, I want to read it. <laughs> um, so our friend or your friend, Jamie Ford. Oh, yes. Has have a new one out. Have you seen it? No. What t- tell them what's about. Is this on one of the ones on your list? No. Okay. I think you've, you've just. <laughs> Did I kill him for you? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think I read. I can't remember if I read the what was it, a house on a corner of bitter and sweet or something. That's the one I hated. Oh yeah, my God. I hated sure that. Book. I read that. Or if I just have your memories. Of oh, it. <laughs> God. I hated that book. Oh my God. Oh my God. So his new one is called a haunting love story. It's the many daughters of a Fong Moy. He's simply transcendent. He's outdone himself. They say, I haven't read what it's about, but I did think I was like, Oh, I have to bring this up to Gail just because there is another of his books out uh, for you, for you not to read. Exactly. Yeah. I saw, as soon as I saw Jamie Ford, I was like, pass. Ding. So my next book comes out July 19th. It's called briefly a delicious life by Nell Stevens. And it's called, it's a, it's an unforgettable debut. It's a ghost story. So it's about this woman or this young girl in 1473. She's 14 years old when she dies in a monastery. And then, and it's a monastery in Mallorca. I tell you, I have to go visit Mallorca. I know. To put it on the list. So 400 years later, George Sand, her two children and her lover come and they decide to live there. And I guess Blanca, who is the 14 year old who died there in 1473, is kind of obsessed with them. And it, it follows her interactions with them and you get to know her a little bit more and the unrequited love story that she has. So I can't resist, I don't know, I just can't resist novelizations of writers' lives. Hmm. Give me some other examples. Anything, anything that's like a book about a writer, like um, F. Scott Fitzgerald or did, was it Therese? Um, oh, Therese Ann Fowler. Did she write one? Yeah, she wrote Zelda. So it's kind of all mm. about their dynamic and how much he actually plagiarized from her. Like big sections of his novels came from her diaries or stories that she was um, writing. So there have been a number of books like that. I think same thing with Charles Dickens and kind of how he had a lover. And I think his wife would never divorce him or whatever. So he kind of lived with her separately. I think she might have been with him when he died or... Maybe he was going to see her. Geraldine Brooks wrote a really good one when she wrote March, which is kind of about Louisa May Alcott's life and her wild, wild father, like the religions that he was into 
how he basically had them on the brink of starvation, like with his utopias, his utopic communities that really failed and did not work. Um, that was a really good one. So, yeah. I mean, this one, of course, veers into the fantastical. Some of the books that I've mentioned, there are not ghosts in them. They're just very much, you know, straight, straight stories of what these authors' lives were like or the scandal that was in them. That's so funny. That's a whole genre of books that I would skip over. Really? Yeah, I guess I don't, I don't know why. Like the idea of writers, like maybe because the process of writing is so solitary that it doesn't sound interesting to me to hear about it. I don't know. I, I don't know why, because obviously I'm very intrigued by writing. But none of these, I don't think any of these books are about their writing lives. Like, I mean, Dickens, he kind of revolutionized or invented the literary tour, like because of his financial straits or whatever. And like, he went on these long tours before anyone else was doing them in order to kind of promote his penny stories and to promote his novels. Um, he was legendary with his affairs. Like I said, with, with March, with uh, Louisa May Alcott's father, he was just completely wild, always had them on the brink of starvation and was always into these schemes that never worked out. And she writes about like, um, I guess the farm that she writes about, not in little women, not in little women, but it appears in little men when Joe has married and she moves and she kind of starts this farm school with her husband. It's kind of like based on fictionalized and romanticized version of what she used to live with her father. I'm just saying it's not so much about the writing as it is about the lives that yeah. be completely out there. Right. True. They're interesting personalities. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, can I tell you that anything related to F. Scott Fitzgerald just kind of bores me? I don't know why. Um, well, he was, he was kind of terrible. <laughs> right. I don't, I mean, I just like, I'm not, for whatever reason, I'm just not that interested. I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know why. I think that's valid. <laughs> I don't know if it's valid, but it's, I don't know if it's rational. It's just, that is how I feel. Um, Okay. My next one is called The Pink Hotel by Liska Jacobs. And it is a book about a young couple who go to a Beverly Hills hotel on their honeymoon. They go and stay in this hotel. Um, they are invited by the general manager of the hotel to come and stay there. I don't think that they can necessarily afford to stay there by themselves, but there's some reason why the hotel wants to get this guy to come and stay there. Cause I think they want to hire him. I'm not sure for what, and soon after they get there, wildfires sweep through the mountains and LA becomes, um, you know, a, it says a pressure cooker with riots breaking out across the city. So the pink hotel closes its doors and barricades its guests inside. So you have guests and then you also have staff and the guests are very, very wealthy, you know, very sort of eccentric people who are staying there because they like to go someplace that they can, that's discreet where they can kind of be un, un um, bothered. And so you've got this kind of little microcosm of um, people that are stuck in this place. It says a blistering dark social satire, the pink hotel exposes a tenuous class system within its walls full of insurmountable expectations and unspoken resentments, which deteriorate as the city burns. For some reason, this is giving me the leave the world behind vibes, <laughs> but you like it. Um, yeah, looks good. 
Okay. Yeah. And that one comes out on the 19th of July. Okay. How many more do you have? I just have one more. Okay. So then I'm going to do one more. I'm just going to briefly mention Emma Donahue has a new book out called Haven. I probably will not read it. I really do like her books. I feel like they get more and more obscure as she Mm -hmm. goes along. Room was like, I think the one that was pretty mainstream and modern because she writes a lot about, she, I mean, she's a great historical fiction writer. This one, can I just say, it's about these guys who, not guys, I mean, they go to found a monastery. They want to go someplace that is kind of untouched because they're living in a time when there's like plague and there's lots of stuff going around. So it's in seventh century Ireland and they want to just find some place where they can go to kind of leave the world behind and establish their own community. But um, where they land is like this bare island. It's not inhabited well. It doesn't seem like it's very sustainable, but that's where they choose to kind of set up house. So it the tagline, I guess, is in such a place, what will survival mean? So, you know, like I said, she's a great, fantastic writer. I love her writing. I think that the premises of her books, they just get more out, more and more out there. All right. So we each have one more book. Mine is coming out August 2nd and it's called When We Were Bright and Beautiful. And it is a story about this family who lives on the Upper East Side, Cassie Quinn. It says that she's 23. She's just gotten out of a relationship with this older man that's kind of been devastating to her. So it talks about the three things that she knows, just um, and one of them is that her brother has been accused that her brother is a rapist. It says, you know, she she knows money can't buy happiness, family matters most, and that her younger Oh, her younger brother, Billy, is not a rapist, but he has been accused of this and he fits the type. You know, he's from a wealthy family on the Upper East Side. He's involved in athletics. He goes to a, um, a very fancy school. So is he in high school? I don't think, no, he, he's a junior at Princeton. Oh, okay. And he's arrested Ooh, sounds good. for assaulting his ex-girlfriend. So yeah, so she is, it's just like all of these things. He fits a profile. His sister knows that he has not done this, but he fits the profile of someone who would have done something like this. So kind of looking at, you know, what image, I guess how we interact with images and how this family now comes together, goes back to the Upper East Side to kind of circle the wagons and to defend their, you know, son, their brother. And... Mm. And it just talks about her, how her own experiences with an older man that she had issues breaking from kind of influenced the lens through which she looks at what's happening in her family and and her brother. So it does, it sounds really good. When We Were Bright and Beautiful by Jillian Meadoff. That sounds good. Is that her first book? Um, No, I think she's written quite a few. I've seen her name. Huh, that sounds great. Um, She wrote the national bestseller, I Couldn't Love You More. As long as well as the novels, this could hurt. Good girls gone bad and Hunger Point. Okay, that's what I thought. She wrote this could hurt. This. Is that the one about? Is that a workplace book? Oh, I don't know. I'm just looking at a list. Okay, all right. Yeah, I think I've heard of her before. Okay, my last one is the Last White Man by Mohsin Hamid, who wrote the Reluctant Fundamentalists. Hamid, I'm not sure how you say his name. 
And he wrote Exit West, which I did not read, but I did read The Reluctant Fundamentalist and I thought it was excellent. It's a book about people's skin starts changing colors. So people who are black start to turn white and people who are white start to turn black. So it's not everybody, but it's happening to some people. So people change race and um, it's all about the overturning of an established order uh, some people see the transform. Some see in the transformations the long dreaded overturning of an established order to be resisted. Whereas other people, it says change takes on a different shading, a chance to see each other face to face anew. So it's obviously you know about racism and race and what does race mean if we can change races and become different people. It says. Hamid's The Last White Man invites us to envision a future that dares to reimagine who we think we are and how we might yet be together. The interesting thing about this to me is that, you know, of course, we hear things like this and you think that's really wild. But I remember maybe three or four years ago, one of my friends went to a conference. She's an insurance underwriter and she went to a conference that was talking about, you know, people having pills to change their skin color. And I was like, is that where we're going? And I guess whatever liability issues or how that was going to be managed or whatever. But I think a lot of times novelists have access to information in terms of what's coming. And so it's just always, you know, there's been a few books where it's like either there was one, there was the, the black ass one where the this guy turns completely white, except for his butt is still black. I've never heard of that. <laughs> and then, and there have been others that kind of flirt with this when we do have the ability to change our race or when people wake up for a different race or um, there's a book whose name I can't recall that is about a father, I think, who is trying to make sure that his son has access something to something that will change his race, even though he himself is a black man. So it sounds really wild when you first hear about it and you hear these start these novels. And I almost think that some in some ways they are to prime us for what is to come. So on that note. We will continue to keep you apprised of books that are worth checking out as they become available over the summer. I think we just got through July. (laughs) Maybe we can revisit again, but this time towards the end of the summer, like more books that we have discovered. We're just at the beginning of summer. I'm sure there's going to be things that pop to our attention that maybe didn't before. And I'm excited that it seems to be a great summer for books, though. Yeah, God, so much good stuff out. All right. Well, if you've read any of these or you've got any of these on your list, let us know. We're curious to know how they are, if we should pursue them or not. Because we definitely won't get to them all. (laughs) No, (laughs) we never do. All right. Well, until next time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at The Readerly Report. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.